Good morning. Um, this is kind of fun for me today. I'm seeing some faces I haven't seen in years. Uh, not because they don't come to church. They just, this isn't their normal worship home. And I, it's just some old friends. So it's good to, good to see you. And Barry, welcome back from traveling south to grieve your mother. Um, we're glad you're home. And we're glad to see Jamie is out of the hospital. It's, uh, it's wonderful news. Um, Hey, a couple of things before we get started. First of all, those of you joining us online via our live stream, uh, that's awesome. We're glad we have the technology to do that. Uh, we would love to meet you. If you're, if you're from here and you're just homesick or something like that or traveling, I'm glad we can do this. If you're, if you're just joining us online and we don't know you, we would like to. So come on anytime. Uh, we promise we're just about as weird as you see online. I'm even more so, but otherwise, pretty normal people. Um, Nothing? Got it. Got it? Okay, cool. Um, I understand. I see where I stand. Uh, the other thing is our, our LED wall. Uh, we, got some, we have some power issues. That's basically a whole bunch of computer monitors all hooked together. We have some power issues. We're still waiting on parts, so that's why you're only getting half, half of the video right now. And if they were going to put my face up there, my face would be in the black, and you'd just have here and down, and nobody wants to see that. So uh, those of you who are guests, though, let me catch you up a little bit. We've been in a long series. I'm not going to... I'm not gonna, kind of regurgitate everything we've talked about over the last several, several weeks, but we've been, we've been in the life and times of Joseph. Now, that's right at the end of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, and uh, God does something extraordinary, but it's all, it doesn't look extraordinary. Now, if you grew up in the church and you went to Sunday school, um, and they do a great job, uh, Sunday morning, and you have 20 minutes where kids with the attention span of a gnat might pay attention. We always talk about the promises that God made to Joseph in those dreams where his brother and his father, his brothers and fathers and father and mother would be bowing down to him one day. They don't like him because he's kind of the favorite of dad. Um, so they work it out where they're going to, they, they're going to kill their brother. Okay. So they kill him. Or they don't kill him. They sell him into slavery. And then we always go dot, dot, dot. And then we find out that God raised Joseph up. Things are going well. Things are going bad in the world, but good in Joseph. And his brothers show up. They end up bowing down to him. So does dad. And then we hear that wonderful quote, what you intended for, good, for, for evil, God intended for good. We love the story, but we forget that it took a lifetime for God to keep the promises that he made to Joseph when he was 17 years old. Now, if we fast forward, and we, we, we will, but if we fast forward to today in the story, Joseph is 37. So 17 to 37, we got decades here. Um, all that transpires, it's, it's almost impossible to summarize, but basically it goes like this. Joseph sold into slavery. He he's, he's ends up being a servant of Potiphar. Potiphar's the captain of the guard in Pharaoh's army. Things go really well. He's, a, he's still a slave, but things go well for him. He ends up being in charge of all of Potiphar's household. And uh, so as far as slaves go, pretty good gig. Still a slave. He's still owned by another person. He has no rights. He has no voice of his own. He only has the voice that his master gives him. Potiphar's wife has a thing for Joseph because he's handsome and well-built. And she tries to get to him. We'll leave it at that. He, no, he rebuke, rebukes or rebuts her, advances, and she accuses him of wrongdoing. He gets thrown into prison for seven years. Now, while he's in prison, the guard, things, as far as prisoners go, he's still a prisoner. Things go well for him. He ends up being in charge of all the prisoners. 
So kind of the, kind of the local, the, the, or the, the prisoner that's a trustee. And then some other people get put into prison and he interprets some dreams for them. Those dreams come true. One guy ends up good. The other guy ends up dead. And Joseph is smart and he says, hey, when, when you get back in your spot and you have Pharaoh's ear, mention me. Let him know that pretty good guy. Well, that guy forgets. Until Pharaoh has some dreams. Pharaoh has some dreams and he can't figure them out. His wizards, his encanters, his astrologers, his wise men, we know them as magi. They know nothing. Then the cupbearer goes, oh yeah, I remember this guy. Two years ago. Um, that uh, can interpret dreams. They bring Joseph up. Joseph interprets the dreams. Um, and the dreams say basically there's going to be seven years of plenty. Seven years of famine, and Joseph then has some ideas on how to make sure that the world doesn't starve. And Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of everything. He's second in command in all of the known world only to one man, and that is to Pharaoh. He gets Pharaoh's signet ring, he gets Pharaoh's chariot, he goes all around the world storing up grain so that when the world is starving with famine, all the world can come and buy grain from Pharaoh to keep the world alive. Now, what we don't know in that story, except little glimpses, that Joseph had really any idea what God's overall intended plan was. Today, we get to hear that Joseph figures out or that God revealed to him what his plan was. Now, we know Joseph, when he was raised up and he becomes number two in all of Egypt, he, was, he went full on Egyptian. They gave him an Egyptian name. He had two Egyptian children. He named those children names that meant different things. One of the things that meant was, I, I want to thank God that he has allowed me to forget my father and his household. So after 17 years, whatever it was, it was bad. And he like, finally, God has allowed me to forget what those people have done to me, forget where I came from. So I'm just invested here. And the other name of his other son meant this. God has allowed me to be fruitful, even in the land of my suffering. So that should catch most of you up for the most part. I encourage you to go back and read this whole story, but don't read it in one sitting. Read it a chapter at a time because the story, each chapter tells us something, not only about Joseph, not only about his brothers, but about God. So what we do know is Joseph's brothers came. Uh, they, they made a trip. They were starving. Jacob said, Jacob's the dad. He told the brothers, go to, go to Egypt. I hear they're selling grain. Buy some, bring it back so we don't die. So they head off. They head off and they meet Joseph, their brother, who they sold into slavery. They don't know it's Joseph, but Joseph knows it's them. And uh, they, they get grain. He questions them. He accuses them of being spies. He says, go back and bring. You, you still, you know, they tell him he has another brother. Go back and bring your other brother. Now that's Joseph's younger brother, who's the only other son of Joseph's mom. And, okay, so he sends them back to go, to go get him, to, to go bring him back. And when they, when they leave, they find all the money that they had used to buy the grain. They find it all in their pouches. So they think they're dead if they ever show up again. So they eat and eat and eat and eat and eat until they run out about a couple of weeks. And then they're going to starve again. So dad says, go. So well, we can't go. If we, don't, if we go and we don't bring back Benjamin, he's going he's gonna to kill us all. Dad's like, no, 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 no. Finally, he, he gives in. He says, look, if, I'm gonna die, if we're going to die, we're going to die. If we're not going to die, you got to take Benjamin. They go to Benjamin. Now, this is a 10-day journey-ish. It's their second time back. They come back the second time, and that's right before the chapter today. They come back the second time. They bring extra money because they're afraid that they have been framed for the money that ended up in their pouches. They hear some kind of miraculous things, and then... 
They brought Benjamin. And then Joseph is testing his brothers. And Joseph says, when, they, when they're taken off again, they, he leaves this silver cup in one of their bags. And they're so sure that they're innocent that when they send the captain of the guard out there, um, you know, you, you've got this, this special cup and whoever, you know, you're going to die. They say, well, we're, no, in fact, if you find it, whoever, whoever has it, kill him. Kill him. Well, it's Benjamin. It's in Benjamin's sack. And they get brought back to Joseph. Now, again, they don't know it's Joseph, but Joseph knows those are his brothers. And here's the test of their character. He's been testing their character all along. Are they willing to hand over a brother to save their own skins? And Judah, Judah, the one that we get Judah, the country from, Judah, he, he cries out. And this is right before this chapter begins. See, and you heard this last week from Pastor Kurt. He cries out and he says, no, no, take me, not him. Take me, not him. I will be your slave you let my brother go because I cannot kill my father. If he goes back, his father will die from grief. So, and I want you to see that this is a theme that God begins here and moves all the way through scripture. That someone decides to die or to serve as a slave in someone else's stead, in someone else's place. They're substitutionary, or substitutionarily dying for another. We see it here, the offer to become a slave or to be executed so that his brother doesn't die. We see it when David, who buys the Temple Mount from Arun of the Jebusite, and, he, and, and, and then David later sins against God by kind of counting God's people as David's and not as God's. And God sends an angel to wipe out all of Israel, and David climbs up to the threshing floor of Arun of the Jebusite, which ends up being the Temple Mount. And he says, it's my sin, Lord, not theirs. Take me, not them. And then Hundreds of years later, Jesus is being hung up on the same spot, on the threshing floor of Arunia the Jebusite. He's up on a cross. And what does he say? For all intents and purposes, why did Jesus come to save us from our sins? God is showing us that, that he's had a plan all along. And De Jesus cries out and says, it's not my sin, it's theirs. Take me, not them. There's a theme. So Judah just cried out and he said, take me, not him. And then it says this. Then Joseph could not, could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. Now, if you're a, a war movie or even a sci-fi, like this is a Jean-Luc Picard kind of thing. Give me the room. Leave my, leave me. He speaks with the kind of an authority of a king. And he says to all the servants, out with you. Why? Because snot's about to come out of his nose. Have ever, no kidding. So there, are, there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. So stone walls. And he cries out so loudly that stuff is coming out of his eyes. Stuff is coming out of his nose. He's probably not concerned about whether there's spittle coming out of his mouth. Picture this. Cedar Point, Six Flags, where... Some kind of an amusement park when a mother of a six-year-old boy is walking around and she turns to see something and turns around and he's not there. Now, he saw the teacup ride that he wants to go on or he's someone selling cotton candy, whatever. And so, innocent as he can be, he wanders off. And mom can't find him. She, moms, dads, you know what that feels like. And you know, you know what happens when you finally find that kid, you go to the, 
to the, to the lost child thing, and they get on the walkie-talkies, thing, and the kid has no idea anything's wrong. He has no clue what's going on. He comes up, and you're like, oh my, you know, and you, you hug, squirt stuff out of your face. You're so glad. Or if you, and that, that, that's, the, that's the good side of things, but if you look at the other side, if something happened to someone you love and a police officer or a fireman or, or, or a military person in, in dress blue shows up to your house and you know what it is, what's gonna be your response? Eh, no, you're gonna weep. Joseph is weeping with joy and hurt for the decades that have gone by, but he weeps to the point where he, he, he cries out and he says to his brothers, I'm... I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Picture it. Have you ever seen someone that is absolutely red in face, snot, uh, tears, the whole deal? Have you ever seen anyone approach you that way? It's really hard to tell if they're joyous or absolutely full of rage. And again, they have no idea this is Joseph. He's full on Egyptian. He's got the makeup. He's got the whole deal. They have no idea this is Joseph. He's known all along and he finally, he can't take it anymore. And he says, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? Now we know that he already knows that his father's alive. There's something strange in the Hebrew here. That word, is he alive, means is he alive? Is he well? Is he flourishing? Is he thriving? Are all things good with him? So Joseph reveals himself and they can't understand it because they're terrified. Think about it. They've made two trips here and both times they end up being framed and they think, and they know what they did to their brother. So as far as they're concerned, the last thing in the world you would think from 17 to 37, 20 years later, that the brother that was the spoiled rotten little kid who was daddy's little favorite that you almost killed and you sold into slavery, it never crossed your mind that I bet he rose to be the most powerful man in the world. Never crossed your mind. And now this, 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 this king of, almost king, lord over all of Egypt is what Joseph calls himself in a minute. He's saying, I'm Joseph, how's my dad? They have no idea how to take it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come, come close to me. And, they, and when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother. Jo-. Again, you ever had a man who's weeping ask you to come here and give him a hug? awkward. It's messy. You give me a hug after I preach today. I'm sweaty and gross. They didn't have deodorant. So he's, anyway, just want to humanize you a little bit here. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. This is the first time we see that Joseph actually sees God's providential plan. 
This is the first time that we see it revealed. Now, we have been given clues throughout this book that God is working, God is moving, that God gives Joseph the ability to interpret dreams, and, and that Pharaoh even says that the Spirit of the Lord is on, is on him. But we don't know that, jo in fact, we know otherwise. And when Joseph ends up in prison, he feels betrayed by Potiphar, by his wife, by, by everyone. He's already been betrayed by his brothers. He, as far as he knows, his dad, his dad allowed it. So he's been, this has not been a good life. It's the land of his suffering. This is when we find out that Joseph realizes that God has not wasted his pain, that God has not trivialized his suffering. This is when we find out that God has been working all along and that Joseph has just realized it. When did Joseph know? I don't know. I don't know, was it when he had this, these two children? Is it when he was driving around in Pharaoh's chariot? Or was he just thinking, man, did I luck out? I don't know. But somehow, some way, God has been developing his character from a, from a young man who brags to his brothers that, that they're all going to bow down to him one day. They've bowed down now twice to him. Now, dad hasn't showed up yet, but there's some peace that Joseph is able to communicate to his brothers that their sin against him wasn't actually for evil, it was for good. When did Joseph know? I don't know, but when do I think? Semi-educated guess? At that moment, not before then. And I'm gonna ask him when I get there, and I hope I'm right, because to me, it'll feel much more intimate with God that he allowed Joseph to wonder, to think, to consider, to, to believe what he could, but trying to hang on to hope, but not really having anything to hang on to. That now he, again, and he had his brothers and he tests them and he's kind of expecting them to sell out their other brother, kind of expecting them to be the cowards that they were. He's kind of, and he, now he finds out they're not and he realizes that they're, gonna, they're willing to, to, one of them is willing to die so that the other can live. That's when his heart, that's when he sees that God has not only been developing Joseph's character, not only been providing for the whole known world by, by preparing in this time of plenty for this time of famine, but at that moment, that's when I believe that Joseph realizes what God has done. That's why he's so emotional. That's why he's weeping. That's why he says to them, I'm not gonna count your sin against you. Don't be distressed by what you did to me because God sent me ahead of you to provide for you. Now, I don't know about you, but if two decades went by between when my brother sold me out and when, and when God brought them to me and they actually knelt down before me, I might have a little, I told you so. I might have a little, oh, I've got some things to say. And some of them are Christian, but most of them aren't. But not Joseph. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all that belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers. Those are some sloppy, snot-filled kisses right there. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. 
Afterward, his brothers, his brothers talked to him. And when the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some, car, say, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your, father, and get your father to come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all, all of Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded. Uh, for, for Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them, now watch this coming up. He's still, Benjamin's still his favorite, just like his, he was his dad's favorite. To each of them, he gave new clothing. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothing. And this is what he sent to his father. 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for this journey. And then he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. That's a weird statement. Now, brothers are brothers. If you ever sat in the backseat of a long car, car ride down to Florida, I-75, you get down near, down near kind of near uh, Valdosta, Georgia, you and your brothers are pretty ticked off, and you're sitting in the back of an Oldsmobile Tornado, not that I've ever had this experience, and, and you got that stitching along here, this is my side, that's your side, and if you cross the line, you know, brothers are going to quarrel on a long journey, but there's something more here. This word quarrel, this word, they, they don't fight when you're going. He knows them. He knows how it used to be. He gets it. But he also knows that they're paranoid. Now they're going back a third time. They're leaving a third time. And every time they've left, they've been entrapped. They've been tested. They've been, they found something that didn't belong to them that's been sent along the way. And each time it's brought them back, but they're also coming back in fear. So he's saying to them, don't fret. Don't be paranoid. Treat one another well. I got you. And as they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob about 10 days later in the land of Canaan, they told him, Joseph is still alive. Now think about this. This is confession. They are now telling their father that his son was not killed by a wild animal like he told them. They have to own the secret they've kept for 20 years. They told him Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is, the, he is the ruler of all of Egypt. Jacob was stunned, needless to say. He did not believe him. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw their carts that Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And, Jacob, and Israel, who's also another name for Jacob, said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. More to come next week. But there is so much here. There is so much here. God reveals hidden things. We love that he made promises to Joseph and he keeps them. But we forget sometimes that he made promises to Joseph's brothers too. That they're going to be subservient to Joseph. That's not a promise that you love God keeping if you're one of those brothers. But he kept that promise. 
We love the promises that Jesus is coming back. He came as the lamb and he comes back as the lion of Judah. And all those people who think we're idiots, all those people who think that, we've, that we just need a crutch, all those people who think that we've, that we've been transformed by the removal of our minds, not the renewal of our minds, one day they're going to find out that every, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, some of them not voluntarily. We, oh, there's going to be something good about when Jesus comes back. Yeah. Instead of wondering what it would be like to actually be lost, we kind of have a vengeful spirit about it. But we forget that there's other promises that God makes that he's going to keep because he never breaks a promise. He never makes an unintentional promise. He never accidentally or haphazardly tells us that he's going to do something that he's not going to do for a greater purpose. The meek will inherit the earth. Peacemakers are the ones who are blessed. We're told that the rich will be poor, the poor will be lifted up. We're told that those who do not forgive will not be forgiven. Those are all promises of God. And we must remember that sometimes we're Joseph, but sometimes we're the brothers. And his brother's sins were exposed. God reveals hidden things. And the things in my life that I try to keep hidden are not hidden from God. And the things in your life that you try to keep hidden are not hidden from God. That's the ugly side of this. The beautiful side of this is God's sovereignty. That God revealed his plan only when it was necessary for him to do so. Why didn't he tell Joseph earlier? Why didn't he reveal it to Jacob or the brothers earlier? Well, the same reason he doesn't tell us what's going to happen on Tuesday. The same reason he doesn't tell us what's going to happen to the economy. The same reason he doesn't tell us or, or, or why, why the pain I'm in right now. Why, why am I going through this? Why does it seem like that you're not there? Well, there's an entire book of scripture, Esther, that does not ever mention God's name. Does that mean that God is not involved in the book of Esther? Does that mean it's less inspired than any other scripture? No. It means that the unmentioned God, the unseeable God, the God that seems like he's not there is working and working and working to accomplish his greater purpose. You know why God doesn't reveal his plans to us when we want him to? Because it's none of our business. It's none of our business. He reveals to us what we need to know for such a time as this. And what do we need to know right now? That God is working. How do we know? Because he worked then and he's doing the same thing now. God reveals hidden things. He, you know, you realize that you know Jesus right now because God allowed his brothers to sell Joseph into slavery. Because if, if that didn't happen, then the Israelites, Jacob and his sons, they all die of starvation and famine. But God set that whole thing up over a 20 year period so that they would come back and he would set them up in Egypt. Do you know that we would not have the Exodus story if this didn't happen. And you know that through the line of, of Israel, and who's also Jacob, that Jesus comes. And do you know that if we didn't see that, 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 uh, that Judah is willing to sacrifice himself, and we, didn't, we don't see that, that, that God said to Abraham with Isaac, and then Isaac to Jacob, and then Jacob to Joseph, if we didn't see that, that God was saying, I will not withhold my son from you, my only son whom I love, if we didn't see all that, if, if all this stuff didn't happen, that we would not be saved that God has been working in history. God has been, I would say, manipulating history, using it. Even pagan people are tools of God to accomplish God's greater purpose. Hope, providence, God's provision, God's protection, and pain. 
God shows us here with Pharaoh that he can use a pagan demigod, not Gog, a God with a little G, to accomplish God's purposes. Here's a man, Pharaoh, who everyone thinks is, 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 is deity and whose whole idea of the world, the Egyptian worldview, is that chaos reigns and Pharaoh is the only one that can have order in chaos. And that Pharaoh, when he, when he, when he plants his stake and as his power grows, chaos gets pushed back and back and back and back and back. And so he's seen as king, he's seen as lord, he's seen as God because there's order in the midst of chaos. Now he does it with an iron fist. He does it by enslaving and killing and conquering. But God says that's wrong. Even when people look at the world that way, I'm always going to move from darkness to light. I'm always going to move, I'm always going to bring kindness to perversion and anger and, 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 and hatred. The worldview of God is that we always think that the, it starts with day and it ends in night. It starts with life and it ends in death. That's not God's worldview. It starts in grief and, and darkness and he always moves from darkness to light. Every Jewish holiday begins in darkness and then ends up in light. Even Jesus dying, he's betrayed in darkness. And then on the last part of the day is when he cries out and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's finished. So God is going to reveal hidden things only when we need to know them. But is he trustworthy? Was he trustworthy to use Pharaoh to accomplish his, his yeah. Is he trustworthy to accomplish what he wants to do no matter what happens on Tuesday? Absolutely. What does he expect his people to do? Confess like the brothers did? Repent like the brothers did? And if we're like Joseph, to forgive. And to see God's handiwork even when it doesn't feel like God has been working. We can trust beyond any shadow of a doubt, two things, much more, but two things today. One, whatever pain you're in, God will not waste it, just like he didn't waste Joseph's. And number two, God is not afraid of our world. He's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of me. He's not afraid of our politics. He's not afraid of Tuesday. God reigns. And oh my God, can we be a people that act like it, that say, come what may, famine, or plenty, God brings hope to save his people. Why, the, why all this? To save the known world from starvation so that he could later send Jesus to save us. Why right now? I don't know. When are we gonna know? I don't know. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that just like he moved in Pharaoh and that culture at that time, God's moving now. Last thing, as we move toward communion, God reveals hidden things. Our own sin will come out, but his plan for humanity will come out time and time and time and time and time again. We're going to move here to something that's mysterious, something that doesn't seem like a big deal, something that, that, that's ordinary. We've got bread, who doesn't have bread every day? Okay. If you have celiac disease or if you're on the keto diet, okay, I got it. But 
everyone sees bread every day. Bread is available every day. And juice, juice, we have fruit. You squeeze fruit, you get juice. It's ordinary elements, but God does something extraordinary through them. He reveals what the world believes is hidden. We think that we need to appease God, that we need to do good so that God will accept us. But he, the, the hidden truth is, no. God approaches us. God does not be, need to be appeased. He's pleased to love us. God doesn't need to be proven. We don't need to prove to God that we're good. We need to accept that we aren't. And God will give us grace. He'll give us what we don't deserve. Just like the brothers got from Joseph what they did not deserve. What does he reveal through bread and juice? I don't know exactly. But we're told that it's a means by which he gives us grace. He's going to fill you, change you, nourish you, provide for you, and salve your wounds. He uses ordinary things to do extraordinary things. And you're an ordinary person that he wants to use to do extraordinary things. God uses the unexpected people to do impossible things in ridiculous ways. And you're one of them. So as you prepare your heart for the table, as you prepare your heart to receive the grace that comes from God through these elements, trust him, love him, and if there's something that you need to reveal to him before he reveals it to everyone else, now's the time. Let's pray. Lord, I know I went a few minutes long, but I also know that you want this story told. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive the grace that you offer us, I pray that you reveal to us things that are hidden so that we can bring them to light and you can redeem them. And Lord, for those of us in pain who are struggling or who are, who are hurting, who are grieving, remind us in this sacrament that you will not waste or trivialize or dispose of our pain without meaning. Join us, Lord, as we do our best to join you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Folks, would you stand and receive God's good word? Um, while you're standing, I want to call out a young man, Caden, who uh, embarrassed me the other day by coming up and going, did you hear who the lines got? Someone named Snack. So I asked him if that was football. Um, so, hey, where are you? Yeah, thanks for treating me like I'm a real man. I, I should know, I just don't. So um, Kurt and I are down in front as, as ministers of the, of the gospel, as ministers of Word and Sacrament in the Reformed Church in America. We want to give you this, visu this visual reminder that there used to be a separation between God and his priesthood, or the people in, the, in, in God's priesthood and the people in God. There was this big curtain that stood between the Holy of Holies, God's residence, and all of his people. But because of Christ's sacrifice and this means by which he gives us grace, there is no longer a separation. There is no priesthood, so to speak. We're all the priests of God. We all minister with the holy of holies within us. There is no more barrier. So as God gives you grace, remember that all of that grace, all of that power, the same, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. So remember that there is no more barrier. The only barrier is your decision, your, de your, your desire to keep God away. He will not impose himself upon you. But if you open yourself to him, there is nothing you have to cross. The cross has already reached out to you. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord 
turn his countenance toward you. That's a look on God's face and God smile at you, his people, and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.